Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I am entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Dan Zare, my co-host on the show, and I are recording on the evening of Tuesday, July 16, 2019, uh, which normally is is when I'd be headed to Comic-Con. Um, Dan, you were at Comic-Con just last year, right? I was. It was my first one, and I had a blast. It will, it's not going to be my last one, but this year we're doing a family vacation uh, instead, but I will certainly be keeping tabs on Drew Taylor and everybody else who's there to see what's going on. Well, you know, I, to be honest, taking a year off between Comic-Cons I think is healthy. Um, I, you know, I, I began doing it in the 2000s. I wasn't, you know, in fact, it's kind of ironic because this year is the 50th anniversary. And in fact, the, my first year that I went, I had been invited to panel. And so it, it's, it's, you know, well, as you know, Dan, it's, it's a different way to experience a, you know, a convention like Star Wars Celebration when you're, when you're paneling as opposed oh, very, to, you know, yes. sort of. But, but you know, they, I think in a weird sort of way, the parallels between Star Wars Celebration and and, and Comic-Con, you know, I mean, you know, the whole, you spend, you know, four days battling crowds, you, you know, you're looking for seats in these giant halls, and by the, you know, the time Sunday night you know, arrives, you're beyond exhausted, you're your feet ache from walking around the convention center and not to mention all of those hours you spent sitting in line. But in the end, it really all is worth it because you've seen these spectacular presentations. You've had a chance to, to, to shop and perhaps purchase some amazing collectibles and you've met all these great people or better yet bumped into friends that you haven't seen in years. And But that for me, you know, that's the difference with, with Comic-Con is with the San Diego show, it's like you take a convention and you put a convention on top of that convention and then you fold those two conventions together and then then insert them into a third larger convention that kind of gives you the sense of the scale of where san diego is now in its 50th year in fact did you when when you were down there did you stick strictly to the convention center did you do any of the stuff that was was you know off-site out on the campus so to speak well basically if you go within the three mile radius that's you're going to run into it i mean the the waiters and waitresses are wearing comic book t-shirts um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are overlays on all the buildings, inside elevators and in all the hotels. Even uh, the week I was there, the San Diego Padres were out of town. So the, the San Diego Padres gift store was um, was uh, um, the, a purge gift shop, an actual purge gift shop, pretending like the purge is a real thing. I mean, it, it is everywhere. And I, so I, I looked at some of this stuff. I, I concentrated more on the convention itself. But it really is a wonder, a pop culture phenomenon. It's just... Oh, no, no, It's, no, it's really something else. No, I mean, get seriously, folks, if you can ever experience, do make the trip. And, 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 and you're right. You know, the, in fact, the year I went, same thing. The Now, that's Qualcomm Stadium? That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Okay. The year that, uh, you know, I remember particularly I was there with my daughter Alice and that year was I th- want to say one of the first year year or two of the Walking Dead and so inside of Qualcomm Stadium they had set up a Walking Dead obstacle course where the idea was you had to race through the entire stadium avoiding zombies 
and I there is I, no I just, chance I would have done that zero. Well, see, now, <laughs> but this I respect is why people you and I to. do a show together, Dan. Yeah, because <laughs> again, I I just I cannot handle the undead. No. On the other hand, getting back to this year's uh, San Diego Comic Con, again, one of the things that tempted me to 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 want to get a plane ticket is this um, the stormtrooper armor display that Lucasfilm is putting on. It's in booth 2913. And did you hear about this, Dan? Oh, of course. In fact, Lucasfilm emailed me and gave me a heads up about it. And yeah, I think it's going to be great. Man, I wish I could see it. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, there are going to be nine different costumes on display, every one of them screen used. And it's kind of a, a, a greatest hit, so to speak, of... The Stormtroopers, and we start off with the Imperial Stormtrooper outfit, we get a, a TIE pilot outfit, uh, we then, you know, uh, you know, we won't go through the whole list here, but we get a, the Biker Scout from uh, Return, of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi, yeah. and then we, we jump ahead and start getting First Order Stormtroopers, First Order TIE uh, pilots, and, you know, what a surprise, they're going to have Captain Phasma's chrome outfit there, but... The one that really seems to have caught people's attention, at least online, is this Sith Trooper, um, which, do you remember when, when that poster came out for uh, Rise of the Resistance and everyone was like, oh, that can't be the real poster. I mean, look at the, all these bright red stormtroopers at the bottom. I do remember that, yes. So what... Do you make of this outfit? Because again, when I I look at these, uh, and you know, and you see the name Sith Trooper, I can't help but think of the Emperor's Royal Guard. Those guys in those red flowing capes and sure the, the cowls that we saw uh, back in Episode Four. Right, and then with uh, the last shot, the Praetorian Guards in Snoke's throne room had the red. I mean, Sith has always been in fashion in in the world of Sithdom. And I, what I like about it, the close-up, and now I've heard some people saying, well, it's just a stormtrooper that's painted red. Well, that is true to a degree, but there's also a lot of texture and a lot more detail interwoven into the armor, so I'm looking forward to getting a closer look at this thing. But other than that, all we know is it's called a Sith Trooper, and whether it's on screen for 10 seconds or is a major focal point in the plot, I, I just I look forward to seeing what it actually means. But it is a really striking costume. No, absolutely, absolutely, and I'm I'm kind of hoping, given that there is some Sith Trooper merch that's going to be sold at San Diego Comic Con. I mean, you, you know the drill, you know that that's you get, sometimes oh, yeah. once you get the toys early, you can really sort of eyeball and get a sense of well, what is this about, or with the descriptions of the box or that sort of thing. Oh yes, but yeah, what is it? Uh, Hot Toys is going to be a, doing a one sixth scale figure. Yep. Uh, likewise, Hasbro's got one. So Their Black Series 6-inch line, which is really, really popular. In fact, Hasbro will be sending me one of those, so I'm very excited to get my hands on that thing. Ooh, okay, well, then we will wait for your report on this All thing. right, I look forward to it. Okay, now, interestingly enough, folks, if you don't aren't able to get down to San Diego to check this out, the, the, this the Stormtrooper, uh, you know, display of Stormtrooper concepts, not to worry if if we're re- if Dan and I are reading between the lines correctly, at the G23 Expo, which is being held at the Anaheim Convention Center, August 23rd through the 25th, it looks like this exact well maybe not exact set of costumes will be on display. Uh, you know that Lucasfilm is going to have their first ever dedicated pavilion on the show floor 
at this year's expo and the description of the exhibit that will be there says it will focus on the evolution of stormtroopers through the star wars movies and actual on-screen costumes of the films will be on display and I, I, I'm sorry, Dan, I read that, and I can't help but think there's a little Sith recycling going on here. Right. But, not a, you know, I, I, I'm not going to fault them for that, if anything, to give even more fans a chance to check this out. Besides, you know, the, it, the, the D23 Expo is going to be worth it all by itself just to go on Friday the 23rd, which is, that's when, at 3.30 in hall d23 uh john farrell is going to be on stage giving folks a peek at the mandalorian uh which of course is that star wars inspired limited series which is going to debut on disney plus uh the, the company soon to launch subscription streaming service uh in fact really <laughs> soon to launch as in november 12th so by the way dan not to pat ourselves on the back, but did you see while, while Favreau was out doing <laughs> pr- promotion for his photorealistic Lion King uh, last week that he actually confirmed what you and I were talking about? Uh, that's right. We got the, some the, news. We <laughs> we got something right. That's news. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, that um, yeah that the that a second season, uh, or rather the Mandalorian, even prior to the first uh, set of episodes airing has already been renewed for its second season. In fact, this is what uh, Favreau had to say, Jimmy Kimmel Live, when he appeared on that late-night talk show on Thursday, July 11th. He said, We're done with the first season, and I'm actually writing the part of the second season now. I'm having a blast. It's like turning over your toy chest and playing with all the Star Wars toys together. We're having a great time. Also, uh, interesting, Favreau, while he was on the couch there, uh, you know, sort of clued Jimmy into the premise and that the Mandalorian is about this bounty hunter. It's set after Return of the Jedi. The Empire's gone and now all hell is breaking loose in the Outer Rim. It's about the scum and villainy now that when you take the rule of law out, uh, what happens is chaos takes over. You know, we're, you know again, we're going to have to wait till November 12th, so... You know, I'm working on the math here. August, September, October, November. All right, four months that we can hang in there for just four more months. Which isn't too bad. And and really, the, the, the panel that we saw at Celebration Chicago confirmed that, showed us a lot of great behind-the-scenes footage, which really isn't officially out online anywhere. But it very much gave that atmosphere of what happens when the the war is done and how do, how do people rebuild? How do, once the Empire or the evil monarch has sort of withdrawn and gone elsewhere or, or, or disappeared. What do, what do normal people do? How does that create chaos? And I think the, I mean, the star Wars universe, especially in the underworld is ripe for that. So I'm really expecting quite a dramatically different tone and everything seems to be pointing that direction as well. Now, forgive me for, for putting this out there, but, but face it last year, we spent a lot of time talking about, how um, releasing Solo, a Star Wars story, in May on the heels of Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, and in December. You know, some people wondered if that was too much Star Wars coming into the marketplace at the exact, you know, in sort of the same window of time. And there's just a part of me that just a little concerned about uh, you know, face it, Mandalorian hits November 12th, Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, The Rise of Skywalker arrives in theaters December uh, 20th. 
uh, you know, on the other hand, it, it is the end of the, the Skywalker saga. It's an event. Got to assume people are going to come out for this thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, and I, and I do subscribe to that's why Solo struggled was because it was so close, and Star Wars consumers are not used to that close. It's not like Marvel, but this is different because the audience of The Mandalorian, well, you know, you know, I guess, of course, it's Star Wars fans, naturally, but it's a different type of thing. It's not like families are going to be getting together around the holidays to watch The Mandalorian in the same way that they will for Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, and it's so close to Christmas anyway, and, and the fact that it's Skywalker-centric, and it's, it's you know, at least at the time of this recording, the bookend to the great American mythology, I, I have a feeling that The Mandalorian will just be an appetizer for the diehards, and it won't even be a blip for people who just want to go see a Star Wars movie. Okay, okay. Well, uh, given that I've been a Debbie Downer, I, I should at least pass along the good news that we've heard. And again, I, you know, there are some already some interesting things popping up about this J.J. Abrams film. I mean, okay, and I, I, <laughs> you and I talked about this guy's name in as we were pre-gaming tonight, yes. and I'm still Yunus. It's Yunus Suatomo. I know it. There I know we go. it because I, got... I interviewed him last year at Disney World, and he uh, he spelled it. He explained it to me phonetically. Okay. Well, Eunice was actually uh, interviewed by AMD Bank over the last week, and he they asked him, uh, you know, a, a kind of a left-handed question, you know, to the effect of, "What's your favorite? I did not see that coming movie moment." And Eunice's response was actually uh, probably made the people look so very happy. Uh, it was all of my next movie, but shh. And then the hashtag is keep them on their toes. Um, so uh, kind of intrigued that he, you know, read the script and made the movie and didn't see a lot of developments coming. On the other hand, uh, Daisy Ridley also seemed pretty confident about how Rise of the Resistance is going to appeal to fans of this film franchise. Uh, she was uh, just recently interviewed by People Television. She, and she was asked uh, how she thought Episode Nine turned out, or more importantly, whether Star Wars fans would be satisfied with The Rise of Skywalker. And Daisy's response was that she felt that uh, Star Wars fans, I think, uh, here's the quote, I think very satisfied with the, the finished film. Everything we, we were doing felt, in the moment, really good. I, I think the finished product will be pretty epic. And and speaking of epic things... Dun, dun, uh, that, was, that was my epic music. There we go. We've all been waiting for this, but we now have official opening dates for Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, which, according to Disney's PR team will be, and again, quote from the, the press release here, folks, the most immersive and advanced attraction Walt Disney Imagineering has ever created. Uh, Rise of the Resistance, which reportedly has 23 separate show scenes, will, again, according to the official press release, put guests in the middle of a climatic battle between the First Order and the Resistance. Guests will be recruited to join Rey and General Ghana at a secret base, Along the way, they will be captured by a First Order Star Destroyer, and with the help of some heroes of the Resistance, they break out and must escape a Star Destroyer, protect the secret base, and stay one step ahead of Kylo Ren. 
I, by the way, I, speaking of, uh, we were just talking about Ray doing, or excuse me, Daisy Ridley doing some interviews. And did you see the interview she, she, where she talked about working on her portion of Rise of the Resistance? No, I did not. Oh, it's just this wonderfully funny little chunk in an interview where basically it was just before Christmas. And and again, because they're running and gunning, you know, it was just sort of like Daisy, you know, you've got a, a open day on the schedule. The guys from Disney need you to record this moment in the attraction where you're a hologram. And so the poor thing, you know, again, and it has to, you know, step out of, you know, uh, the Rise of Skywalker and go work on her moment of Rise of the Resistance. And evidently, she was so exhausted just remembering the words you know the and again because it's it's a theme park attraction and the dialogue is so specific you know you cannot ad lib in any way because you know there's show be and it has to be you know exactly timed because again you, you have to pulse a certain number of people through the room uh you know it's just, just i could not do it it just took so many takes you know but the upside is well now i'm in a theme park so, you know, we're all going to get to see uh, Daisy's performance as, as a hologram, I guess, interacting with BB-8. The Disney World version of this attraction, Dan, uh, is supposed to open on December 5th, which uh, Disney Company officials like to point out is Walt's birthday, whereas the Disneyland Park version isn't going to open until January 17th, which, given the, the number of stories that are bubbling up in the mainstream media right now, Dan, and we're talking about major newspapers like uh, USA Today and the New York Post, uh, which are talking about the lighter than expected crowds this summer at at Disneyland Park. In fact, uh, USA Today today uh, actually ran a piece where they sent a plane over Galaxy's Edge and showed how light the crowds were inside of that. Which has got to make this. That's why this news, and I understand it's a construction thing, that's got to make the Disneyland uh, folks very, very, I'm sure, frustrated. I'm sure nervous. I don't have any inside info on that. Just stands the reason they've got this beautiful area, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit. And now they're having another, uh, I guess, sort of a delay on this this epic attraction it's too bad yeah. but i'm sure it will pay off no 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 doubt no doubt in fact you know it's it's kind of ironic that um this is a problem that i think will solve itself uh starting on what is it august 19th um there is this whole level of disneyland annual pass holders the deluxe uh, who have the deluxe park pass that, can f that have been blocked out the entire summer. They can finally get into Galaxy's Edge starting on August 19th. And then uh, starting on September 3rd, folks who have the California Select level of annual pass can get back in. But they've, they've been blocked out this entire summer, Dan. That's right, which has to be the main reason why we've got uh, the situation that we have. Well, it, you know, it, it is a significant part of it. But uh, when we get back from a commercial break, we're, we're going to talk about you know the 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 interesting mixed messaging disney put out about star wars galaxy's edge and, and how it impacted disneyland summer okay we're back and and dan look you were actually there at galaxy's edge in fact you you were there for the media event you saw 
this land almost the grand opening. In its pu- yeah, yeah. You were there. It, you saw it in it, its purest form. You saw it. You know. You, you know, we were there in the crowd and saw Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and and you know Mr. Lucas and let's not forget about Billy D up there on stage. You know, or standing there by the Millennium Falcon. Um, so, look, I you know. If anybody can evangelize about how spectacular this 14-acre area is, you know, that how immersive it, it, it is and the amazing detail and that sort of thing, it's you. I mean, um, yeah. so, but as you mentioned, as, as we were headed into the commercial break, it's just sort of, it's got to be frustrating, uh, you know, to the folks at Disneyland to have, you know, for example, the New York Post has a headline to the effect of Disneyland is a ghost town in the summer of 2019. Uh, Which, of course, sells newspapers and gets people to click. But I can honestly tell you, this mm-hmm. place... I was actually on a recent Star Wars podcast called The Star Wars Report, and they asked me, what would I prefer, Celebration at its finest or Galaxy's Edge? And I don't even have to think about it. Galaxy's Edge is the absolute best Star Wars experience you can have on this planet. And pretty soon we're going to have mm-hmm. it on both coasts of the United States. It's whatever these... Uh, stories are on whatever's happening. I know we're going to break it down. Trust me, everybody, when I say it is beyond worth it, even without Rise of the Resistance there. But here's the interesting thing, and I, I apologize, folks. I know this is this is anecdotal, but I want again. This seriously happened to me this past Sunday. I, I had taken Nancy to visit with two friends of hers, and you know, uh, you know, we've just been getting her out of the house post you know, back surgery and, you know, just, you know, she's been staring at the same four walls and me and, you know, if, if we don't get her out, she's going to stab me. Anyway, uh, we're collecting Nancy and her lifelong friend Diane is standing there. And I mentioned that, you know, we have to hurry up and get home because, again, remember, you and I were going to be recording on Sunday night. Um, and, I, you know, we were going to, I mentioned that we'd be talking about Galaxy's Edge and now, you have to understand, Diane lives in central Massachusetts, okay? She's as far away as possible from Southern California. And But when she hears we're talking about, you know, or you and I are going to be talking about galaxies, she says, oh, that's that new land that nobody can get into because the lines are so long. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, this is somebody, you know, 3,000 miles away from Anaheim, and... and there is this disconnect that there is this perception versus reality of of what's happened with Galaxy's Edge. And, and to be honest, Dan, Disney owns a huge chunk of this. I mean, have you managed to see the, the national broadcast ad for Galaxy's Edge yet? I have, and it's exceptional. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. I love that it's a father and a daughter and you know, the little girl. You know, I've waited my whole life to do this. And then, you know, they show the two of them in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and, you know, that they're, they're both piloting. And isn't it the, the daughter who actually does the jump to light That's speed? That's right. Or? Sit in the front on the right it, and you got it. Well, it's, here's the thing. It's it's a beautiful piece of advertising. And then, Dan, in fact, it's, it's Alice who pointed this out. As the ad is ending and they have this sort of quick shot of Batu. Uh, and you know the spires of, of Black Spire Outpost. Uh, this this you know the boiler legal boilerplate leaps up on screen, and it reads: Capacity for the park, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and its experiences are limited. 
Access to the park, land and experiences may be restricted or unavailable depending on guest demand or other factors. So, you know, here's the thing. You have this amazing visual that says, oh, you should do this, especially if you're a parent, especially, you know, somebody, if you grew up loving Star Wars, you can teach your kids to love Star Wars. But then the end of the, the, end of this ad is like, wow, but, but be aware you may not get in because this is going to be so busy. And, you know, this has gone on, Dan, since... You know, literally since this project was officially unveiled, so to speak, yeah. uh, August of 2015. And again, it's ironic we were just talking about the D23 Expo, but that's when uh, Bob Iger stood on stage at, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, talking about how, you know, you're going to be in a place where it feels like you just walked into a Star Wars movie where you're surrounded by many inhabitants, humanoids, aliens and droids. Um and well, all right. Uh, tell you what, let let me break this down for you. Where I think we got this this weird messaging, where it was a combination of oh, you have to go to this because you're going to get a chance to fly the Millennium Falcon. You're going to get a chance to drink blue milk. You're going to get a chance to hang out in a cantina with with all this scum and villainy. Where is at the same time, um, you know. Well, look, literally almost right after the, the Walt Disney Company bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion, Disneyland celebrates its 60th anniversary on May 22nd, 2015. Uh, they, they, they do, they kick off their 60th anniversary celebration with a 24-hour long party that starts at 6 a.m. But by 2.30 that day, uh, Dan... Disneyland is has reached capacity, which at this time was 65,000 people and was forced to close the guests. And there were thousands of, of annual pass holders who wound up being turned away. And, you know, and the gates to the happiest place on earth didn't reopen till 2.30 in the morning the following day, uh, May 23rd. And... You know, and the interesting thing is that the, the mantra that day, I was there as a member of the press covering the event, and, you know, the mantra was like, wow, if it's this busy today, what's Disneyland going to be like when Star Wars Land opens up? You know, even the parking lot, every parking lot, uh, official parking lot that was attached to Disneyland filled up that day. Uh, and so... You know, it, as construction began in April of 2016, um, you know, Disneyland tried to alleviate that. You know, they, they they announced in August of 2016 they'd be building the Eastern Gateway project, uh, which was supposed to be this brand new parking structure uh, that was going to be accessible straight from the five. Only the gimmick was where the Mickey and Friends parking structure, Dan, it's deliberately set up so it captures people as they drive down from L.A. The Eastern Gateway project was going to have a parking garage right by the highway, but it was designed to capture guests as they came up, uh, drove up the five from San Diego. Uh, more to the point, to, to make sure that these folks could get into the park as quickly as possible, uh, they were going to create a pedestrian path and an elevated bridge that took the people straight over Harbor Boulevard, and then put them into, you know, so they could just basically pass with security and get into the park. And in this same window of time, 
because again they were anticipating we're going to open star wars land there's going to be a huge demand for tickets um they began creating the system where they tried to sort of steer guests to less popular days of the week so uh they created a demand-based ticketing system where tickets could be divided into value regular and peak days with the notion that if you wanted to get you know a, a good value when you bought your admission to disneyland you had to go middle of the week. You had to go Tuesday, Wednesday, you know. Uh, if, on the other hand, you were going on a regular day, you would buy a ticket for Monday, Friday. And if it were peak, you know, you'd be buying for Saturday, Sunday. Uh, but, you know, to also to sort of artificially force people to, to consider these ideas, they bumped up ticket prices. And then in February of 2017, they did it again. Uh, you know, they bumped up ticket prices, especially annual pass, uh, passes, and all of it with an eye toward we have too many annual pass holders. Uh, and, you know, if we want to avoid what just happened at Disneyland's 60th anniversary party, uh, we need to thin the herd. And the way you do that is you make it so pricey that, you know, people decide, well, maybe I shouldn't renew my annual pass. Um, anyway, October of that same year, the Eastern Gateway project gets canceled, largely because Disney is suddenly dealing with a lot of really negative press because of this bridge uh, that's going over Harbor Boulevard, which means that all of those people who were coming for, uh, up from San Diego, uh, this bridge wasn't going to allow, for safe, safety and security reasons, wasn't going to allow people, once they pass through security, to get back out on Harbor Boulevard and go to the restaurants and shops there. And a lot of folks in Anaheim and Garden Grove thought this was Disney being greedy and not being a good neighbor. And so uh, they cancel that idea and they then decide to build uh, that giant parking structure that you probably saw during your visit there. Yes, I sure the, did. Uh, Pixar Pals. Uh, again, now we get to January of 2019. Disneyland once again raises its ticket prices uh the most elite pass uh the one that that can get you admission into disneyland resorts two theme parks as well as walt disney with four theme parks jumps from 1579 dollars a year to almost two grand and 1949 dollars a year which is substantial um it is it is and and see that's the thing there's this constant messaging of you know between take for example what they they did next uh january 24th 2019 disneyland resort walks a group of journalists and bloggers around disneyland to point out all of the changes that have been made during something they called project stardust uh which is what they did is they went through Disneyland with a particular attention on Fantasyland, um, Frontierland, and Adventureland, which were the, the t three different ways they felt the public was going to access uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the back of the park. Uh, and they went through and widened uh, walkways in those parts of the park. They removed planters. They took... They pulled down sidewalk curbs. Uh, they rearranged, for example, how stroller parking was done in Adventureland. And again, all of this to make it easier for guests, large groups of guests, get to get back to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And again, this, this unsaid message here is that 
oh my god this theme park is going to be so crowded i you know it's you know i mean like we're going to, we're going to be dealing with can, can so many people that we had to take out parts of disneyland that have been here since the mid-1950s and and again i i don't think disneyland understood how people were going to process that info but at the same time they're continually focused on what they think is the the positive aspects of uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I mean, February of 2019, we had that three-day-long media event where they, they took a select uh, group of, of media up to Lucasfilm first, to, to their complex at the Presidio in San Francisco, uh, to sort of, you know, give them the mythos and mythology of the Star Wars films, and then they, they took them to Imagineering Headquarters in Glendale and showed... You know the dedication the Imagineers were going to put into bringing this world to life, creating these immersive environments that people could walk through. And then the very next day, here are people in hard hats walking around uh, Galaxy's Edge. You know, and and just and you remember Dan? You know that that you know the people who got to do this just marveled at it. Oh my gosh, absolutely! Yeah, Clayton Sandell came on the show when as soon as he got back and we did two shows about it and I'll never forget him saying you'll believe a grown man can cry when they see the Falcon and you know that I'm, I'm looking forward to my tearing up moment when I, I finally get there but okay March of 2019 after all of this waiting all of this wondering uh, we finally get our opening dates and we get uh, Anaheim version opens May 31st of uh, this year and the Disney Hollywoods version that's a little later August 29th Um, but the downside is we also find out oh by the way Rise of the Resistance is being held back to phase two Um, and uh, you know so all right that's that's a little concerning but you know still this sounds amazing and uh, again you know based on on what folks like Carly and Clayton, you know, you know, were, were telling us about, you know, you have to check out Black Spire Outposts. But again, uh, tail end of March, here's both Disneyland and Walt Disney World announcing uh, that starting on May 31st, they're putting a brand new stroller policy in place. You know, strollers larger than 31 inches wide and 52 inches long will no longer be allowed in the stateside parks. Likewise, stroller wagons uh, are banned altogether. So again, we get this message of oh my god you know it's going to be so crowded do you really want to go to this place you, you know that that's it's going to be so crowded they they're they're cutting down the sizes of strollers and to further keep this mantra going dan april you know word gets out that the disney company anticipating turn away crowds during the first summer of anaheim's uh star wars galaxy's edge being open they're going to prevent Disney cast members as well as Disney company employees who, who have complimentary main gate uh, admission. Um, they're not going to honor those tickets anymore. Those employees are prevented from entering the park from May 18th through August 30th. And so again, no room for strollers, no room for cast members. Very, very, very crowded. And, and then the kind of the cherry on the Sunday here was the announcement on April 23rd where, you know, look, if you, you know, the first three weeks that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Anaheim was going to be open, if you wanted to get in, you were going to need a reservation. 
and you know and yet again it's it's not only it's a reservation it's a complicated process you first have to set up a a disney account to even register for a reservation and and then this reservation's only going to get you into galaxy's edge for you know a four hour long window of time and and to be honest if you 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 know if you really 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 want to get in you have to you know you should maybe look at booking a stay at the disneyland hotel or the grand californian or the pacific pier between may uh, 31st and june 23rd so now again it's getting into galaxy's edge is complicated and potentially expensive and by the way you're only going to get four hours in there and again dan can you see the cumulative message that that Disney is putting out, and I know this this is all because they wanted to not create a crowded situation. Well, but... yeah, it's a it's a, par- a paradox by definition is two mutually exclusive events or things happening at the same time that are both correct. So yes, it it would be and can be crowded, and yes, there is going to be some some challenges. Uh, but that's no different than going to a convention or Endgame the first you know two weeks it was out or whatever. I think they were so overly cautious, maybe a little anxious because they've got a lot of time and money and and effort put into this thing. So they were being so overly cautious that it could possibly be preventing some people from taking the chance. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who said, oh, I'm going to wait till the crowd, the crowds die down. But to be fair, I feel like mm-hmm. those people would have said that regardless. I don't think everyone is in, is, is in the know or is, is, pays as much attention as some of us do to it. And the fact that they're not letting pass holders in since, as you've said many times, it's the most popular regional theme park. I mean, that's got to be a gigantic reason why this is even going on. Although, yes, it is a mixed message. I, I definitely see that. At some point, you just have to kind of open the doors up and say, just let the chips fall where they may. We want people in here. They're going to love it. Well, that, to me, is the most interesting part of this. Because, face it, June 24th, after the preview period where everybody needed advance reservations to get in, uh, this is the first day it's open to the, the general public. And in fact, they had that whole Disney app boarding groups thing set up. And the interesting thing is that was the only day uh, you actually needed uh, a boarding group to get in. In fact, by the, the, the afternoon, they, they stopped using the system. In fact, for me, Dan, I think the most telling thing is two days later, June 26th, after, you know, they... Uh, you know that they're seeing the the level of crowds that are coming into Disneyland and making their way back to Galaxy's Edge. The Disneyland Resort very quietly lifts the restriction that bars cast members from visiting Galaxy's Edge for the entire summer. They were like, "Never mind what we said. You can get in here now." Um, and and now, um, like I said, you know, it, uh, the, the little further back in the show, uh, we mentioned that. Uh, we now have opening dates for Rise of the Resistance, you know, December 5th at Disney's Hollywood Studios and January 17th at Disneyland. And I have to tell you, Dan, based on what folks in Orlando are telling me, you know, the, the folks at Disney World are determined that they will not do, you know, get this thing going where, they, you know, they have this message about how wonderful the land is and then actions that tell people to stay away. So, you know, for example, they're going to be doing annual pass holder previews starting uh, on August 1st. And then 
uh, they're actually going to be allowing annual pass holders, and when it, which let's be fair here, it's easier to do in Florida because they have far fewer annual pass holders for you know the Walt Disney World Resort. But they're going to allow those folks in even before you know the the, the media event on, on August 29th. But they are determined again to to put out a very different message. And and again, you know, let let's be positive here that that starting again on August 29th, when the deluxe annual pass holders are, are no longer blocked, you're going to see all of those folks who've been dying to get in and get a blue milk to the bar at Olga's Cantina. Uh, they're going to be allowed into the park. And then on September 3rd, we're going to see the folks who have the California Select annual pass uh, get in and. I honestly, I, I anticipate that Disneyland's light crowd problem will go away. Oh, I did too. But at the same time, um, uh, look, you and I both know that you only have one chance to make a first impression. And when you have newspapers like USA Today and uh, the New York Post doing stories about, you know, uh, you know lighter than expected uh, you know, attendance at Disneyland Park for the summer of 2019, and and did Star Wars Galaxy's Edge deliver? Is that's part of the problem that Disneyland's facing? Um, that's a hard narrative to make go away, and I I can't help but think that in the future, you know, people who work in promotions are and marketing are going to study the launch of Dis the Disneyland version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and use it as an example of how not to launch a new land you know that that when you put muddled messaging out there again you you have people like our friend diane three thousand miles away from disneyland who hear oh yeah that's that thing that's so crowded people can't get in <laughs> anyway no i know it it's definitely a tricky a tricky thing i still i can't imagine it's not going to be an overwhelming success once it gets going but i think the the bar the litmus test is Wizarding World, and how that took over the universe. I mean, in theme parks were changed forever, which is obviously a major inspiration for Galaxy's Edge. And I think we're going to get to that, but it's going to be, it's obviously been much, much more of a slow drip. I know, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, you know, in fact, the interesting thing is that, you know, when you go to Universal's, Universal Lando Resort, and, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to get some, some backstage tours and that sort of thing. The interesting thing is you, when you move through, ca or excuse me, Disneyland has cast members, Universal has team members. When you move through team member only areas, one of the, the common things that you'll see is photographs taken in June of 2010 of the opening of the Wizarding World, where they had lines that basically wrapped around the entirety of City Walk, you know, of people who were determined to get in to be among the first to experience Hogsmeade. You know, that people stood in 10-hour lines, and all summer long, they, they actually had those lines. And, and, and you're right. I think in a lot of ways, Disney looked at that and, well, surely we're going to have that exact same thing happen during the first summer of Galaxy's Edge. And so let's prepare, let's build our parking structures, let's get rid of those curbs, let's decide, you know, what we're gonna do about strollers. And it's just, the weird thing is that I don't think, you know, it, I think that was a smart decision, but I don't think they understood the message they were putting out, as you mentioned, sort of a drip, drip, drip uh, kind of way. 
about crowding and that you really want to go and deal with you know crowds of that way and and i guess that's the other real irony here dan in fact just this week disneyland as people you know as reporters began contacting them and doing the whole well you know i hear you're a ghost town i hear you have you know fewer people there and they're like do you understand we just opened a brand new 14 acre land we have increased this theme park's capacity by 25 percent you know, maybe what you're actually seeing is the same group of people who normally go to Disneyland only spread out so much further because we did such a good job. Yeah, and they and they have. When you were there, you don't feel like you have, everything was sardined in. I mean, it's it's it really is an organizational marvel, and I can't wait till people who normally go to Disneyland will get to check it out. And and it is we have talked for a long time. A lot of the folks in Disney World are going to be looking closely at what happens in California, so they know to kind of what to do, how to process that. We still haven't found out how they're going to open up the one in Walt Disney World, but it will definitely be interesting to see how California is going to impact that. Well, I, I, we will continue to talk about this topic, obviously, in the weeks ahead, and I would imagine over at your other podcast and your this is also going to be a topic of discussion and and speaking of your other podcast if, if folks are are, are listening you know, the, the, the enjoy the, the the dulcet tones of dan's air <laughs> where else can they find you around the, the web sure thanks for the plug it's uh, coffee with kenobi is my weekly podcast we've been going on for over six years now and we always have things to make you think and make you laugh we cover the news we look at the films books all kinds of stuff we also have a Patreon uh, page, which has a, an exclusive podcast called CWK Pourover, where we look at popular culture. Star Wars naturally comes up quite often. But, for example, recently we just did a review of Spider-Man Far From Home, which was great fun. It's fun to, to kind of flex my popular culture muscles in different areas. And then you can find my writing on stars.com and IGN. Oh, I actually have to go over there and listen to them. I'd, I'd love to hear what you had to say about Star Wars. Or, excuse me, Spider-Man Far From Absolutely. Home. Absolutely. Um, okay, um, my side of the fence, uh, we got the usual shows here, folks. We got Disney Dish with Len Testa. We got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Uh, we also got I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. That's our Disney merch show. Uh, we also have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and we do quite a bit of talking about the Wizarding World over there, and again, ironically enough, we're just talking about you talking about Spider-Man. We have the marvelous Disney podcast that I do with Aaron Adams. Let's see what else. Oh, uh, folks, if we could ask a favor here, uh, if you could head over to iTunes to rate and recommend both the shows you hear here as well as Dan's shows, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you hear here, uh, heading over to Bandcamp and subscribing, uh, much like uh, Dan's uh, Patreon effort that, that helps keep the lights on here. And I guess for now, that will do it, Dan. You're headed off uh, for a family vacation, uh, so have a great time. Thank you. Uh, and I'm hoping by the time you get back, we will have all sorts of lucasfilm related news having come out of comic-con and we will i guess talk about that when we next get back here to do a show i'll be ready oh okay well we'll talk to you then folks okay take care